I had a diagram and I thought this is this is what it worked because this is what the math says it should. Uh, when we were doing the the pig testing, we were realizing that the the jets were not at the correct distance, so we had to go back. We had to run a series of experiments just to be able to get the number of jets and the distance of the jets to be at the the correct amount to be able to assure that we're crossing 100% of the gut line. And that's something that the diagram was a pull Then, if we didn't need to do that, we would have had to go on that whole side quest of figuring out the jets. And then when I say, oh, the manufacturing will take this long, well, nowhere in that plan was it that, well, we would make this mold and then it would come out with a with a scratch or that these gears would perfectly align and then the gears would run, but then they would eat themselves because they were perfectly aligned. And then we have to figure out ways to make sure that it comes out of the mold correctly or because things cool when they come off the mold, but if you don't do it very precisely, they may cool at different rates. So therefore one will shrink faster than the other and that could warp it. So then you have to figure out a way to make the mold eject things in a way where they're all equal thickness so they cool at the same rate. Welcome to episode 159. We're going to do something a little different today as my guest is Eli Paco, the founder and CEO of InstaFloss, a manufacturing company that produces the world's first device designed to floss all teeth automatically within 10 seconds. Let me tell you, manufacturing a product isn't a straightforward mind. Eddie's current product has been five years into the making, three years of R&D and two years of getting it manufactured. Now there's been a lot of hiccups along the way and Eddie tells us about all those damn bottlenecks. Today he's reached a point where he's ready to hit the market with his device. As Eddie says, an entrepreneur goes out to solve a problem. The success lies in actually solving it and this couldn't be truer when you embark in a manufacturing journey as you'll discover by yourself. Join us in this episode as Ellie reveals his secrets to navigate bottlenecks in the world of manufacturing. We're talking about bottlenecks. Have you assessed your bottleneck score yet? Log on my website and take the bottleneck score, the only tool in the world that will identify your bottlenecks and provide you with practical advice on how to overcome them. And now let's move to the conversation. Hi, Annie. Thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. So here we go. We're going to talk about bottlenecks and manufacturing. I am so excited about this episode. <laughs> Your bottleneck score was not bad. It was 38%. Uh, it's a, I think it's a little bit higher than, uh, than the average. But what did the bottleneck index reveal? That you didn't know. I mean, the I think it might be a little higher than average because manufacturing is a is definitely a sector where bottlenecks are the key to a smooth operation. Yeah. You know, with uh, with certain other sectors, perhaps software. You know, your bottlenecks are more more people, and you can more flexibly reorganize that. But uh, in manufacturing, those some of the bottlenecks, you know, they're not in your hands, they're not in your company's hands, and you have to really account for that. But they can be a bit flexible <laughs> for when you encounter uh, when you encounter an issue. So I'm really, like I said, I'm really happy to talk to you because it's not every day that I get the chance to talk to an entrepreneur evolving in the manufacturing aspect. Uh, like you said yourself, it's a bit particular. But it, but Instaflos isn't your first business. Because in 2011, you co-founded Singularsound, which produces pedal-controlled drum machines, like something really specific, but it's, it, it was already in the manufacturing uh, sector. Mm-hmm. And also, I remember that you told me when we first met 
that it's been quite a journey in Staphlos because in total, five years in the making, three out of those five years was in R&D mm. and two have uh, been into getting manufactured. And now you are about to expedite your first orders, if I am, if I am correct. So tell us about this manufacturing journey because I always talk to, you know, Taras and marketing people, funders. <laughs> How is it? It's so special. What makes it so special? Right, right. Uh, what makes it so special is because when you make a machine, you know, when you're in the prototyping phase, when you're doing, for example, when you're doing the three years of the scientific studies that we were doing, you are creating prototype parts and you're doing this either with 3D printing or you're using, essentially you're cutting metal instead of molding it. But when you get to mass manufacturing, those methods that you use to create one thing are just not efficient to create 10 or 20 or 100,000 at a time. In order to create 100,000 at a time, you need to create molds that can just stamp this out much, much quicker. And so this process is you've spent a lot of time inventing one machine, but when it goes to manufacturing, now you have to invent 30 machines to make it. So if from an engineering standpoint, the design for manufacturing or the, the engineering for manufacturing can often be way more complicated than the prototyping of the device itself. And the more moving parts and the more parts in general that your device has, especially moving parts that really fit perfectly, then mass manufacturing becomes more and more and more complicated. And in order to get there to mass manufacturing, you have to create these molds, but these molds are very, very expensive and very, very hard to change. And so if you create a mold and then you start producing something and you realize it's not coming out of the mold as you had anticipated for whatever reason, then that becomes a very complicated problem to solve. Why? Because you have to work in a way with what you've got or so you have to think around the problem or you have to spend a lot of money to change it. So if I get it correct, you have to manufacture the product, but to be able to do that, you have to manufacture the prototype and then you have to manufacture the machines to build that would manufacture the product. It, it, correct. Yes. It's a bit crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. So uh, honestly, the, the, the molds and the machines, you know, they're where they take a lot of, of, of engineering work. To, yeah. to work correctly, you know, that, and that's something that happens behind the scenes and most people don't see, you know, they see like, they see a device, they say, wow, you know, this device is so complicated. It's so complex. It works amazing. But what they don't necessarily see is the, the 50 devices that are required to make that device and all the thought that went into that. So that, that can be a whole, <laughs> the whole world. Yeah. When, when I was 18 year old, long time ago. Uh, I, I worked for, I did an internship into a, a cardboard manufacturer, manufacturing company. So, you know, those cardboard, the, what the shelf life is, what, one day, maybe, once they are, once they are produced. But the, it is so complicated to, to make a cardboard. You, you don't even realize it because it's, what you're saying is it's, it's the same. It takes, it takes like a prototyping and you have like different type of cardboard, different shape, different formats. According to the different type of products they will, uh, you know, they would put into them. And then you have a, a lot of different machines. And it, the, the, the journey to produce a cardboard is so complicated for a product that will last one day. And yeah, like you said, we don't realize that at all. You know, three years of R&D, two years of getting manufacturing, manufactured. I mean, how do you live? <laughs> I mean, that, what do you make sure? Can, 
it must be expensive. Yes, yes, that, it's very expensive. So um, luckily for InstaFloss, we managed to raise money from investors. Yeah, which uh, you know has been instrumental and necessary because you know the 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 molds themselves, just the machines, cost over a million dollars. Uh, let alone all the parts and then of course the engineering, it's everything. Um, so so investment has been has been crucial. That's one of the reasons why you may seek investment in this account. But uh, another thing that we have been very fortunate to do is we pre-sold $2.7 million worth of InstaFloss units to people who were so excited that they could get a device that could floss their teeth in 10 seconds. They were willing to put their money uh, years in advance, saying, hey, I, I just want to be the first person to get it. Here's my money. <laughs> Shut up and take my money. Um, and uh, that $2.7 million from them, in combination with the amount that we've raised from investors, has enabled us to go through the the scientific testing phases, to go through the manufacturing to get order the parts and uh and now to deliver into initial initial pre-order customers how do you convince people to buy something that doesn't exist yet they don't give you money that's it right well that well they have to be excited and so this is not something that would necessarily work for every product mm. because certain products they may be very background or you know like, like for example let's say you had a slightly better screw or you know something that is a business would use they're very unlikely to a business is very unlikely to give you money years in advance for something that they can't test and they can't hold and and make sure it fits their requirements but when you give people a value proposition so in our case pistol floss it's like hey you know you want to floss but you don't want to because it's painful and because it takes so long and because it's cumbersome and when you do it you're probably not doing it correctly if we could solve all those problems for you with a device that could floss all your teeth in 10 seconds, would that be interesting to you? And would you want to be one of the first people to get it? And obviously not everyone is uh, excited enough to put their money in advance, but enough people have been that we didn't need to raise as much money from investors as we otherwise would. Yeah. 2.7 million of pre-orders. It's, it's pretty impressive. How much How much is a unit? So it's 199 for a unit. 199. So... Quite, quite many, quite many uh, pre-unit orders that you that you have. It's it's fascinating that for me that people would put money into a company that they don't know anything about. <laughs> I mean, they must have the trust that you must have, or that they must put into you. Mm. It's really is really high because what if, and the pressure that it gives you also, it's really high too because. What if you can't produce that product that you promised you would deliver? Yes, that uh, that has caused a number of companies to go bankrupt. It is <laughs> it is a a big uh, it is a big amount of pressure. It's a big responsibility, and really try to earn that trust by having frequent updates. Uh, we we post an update once a month, going into the details of manufacturing. That's quite frankly, I've rarely seen any other company go into. And also, we are very responsive to anybody who emails into us asking questions we let them know what's going on we show them everything so people have a very good sense you know we're not just some company that's going to take your money and, and you know fly by night just like leave because you could see throughout the entire process they were able to see our prototypes they were able to see our the science we were doing they were able to see the the molds we were building the prototyping uh, so the, the the initial units came off the molds. The our quality control process, which are like, hey, we're getting units off the mold, but look, thirty percent of them have this problem, so we have to go mo modify this this mold. And it took a lot longer than any of us anticipated because getting it right is a 
very labor-intensive process. And of course, there's some people like, oh, I gave you money and you said it would be ready in a year and now it's been two years and you know I want my money back. And of course, for all those people, we've given them their money back. But I would say the vast, vast majority of people are like, wow, you're giving frequent updates. I see what you're doing. I believe in this project. I really want to be able to applause my teeth in 10 seconds for myself. So I'm, I'm willing to stick it out. And, you know, we're very thankful of those people and we're trying to do our best by them. How did you come up with the idea? Uh, I was uh, late for a meeting. Okay. <laughs> my brother was like, there has to be a better way than this. I got obsessed with the idea of just being able to floss more efficiently and better because at the same time, everyone I talked to was like, man, I just hate it. It's late at night. I don't want to do it. I'm an avid flosser. It's like, I, no matter how tired I am, if it's three in the morning or something, I can't go to bed. <laughs> Unless I floss it. So in a way, that's as much of a motivation as someone who doesn't want to floss in the first place. It's because I compulsively have to. I started buying periodontal textbooks. I started reading every paper I could find published on flossing. So I had a pretty good idea of what we were trying to accomplish. And then once I had the concept, I partnered with uh, Dr. Ralph Raud and Dr. Animas Karenhas in order to go from just an idea to a prototype and from a prototype to something that we could test in people and make sure that it was actually doing its job. Because, you know, you could floss in zero seconds if you don't care about the results by just not flossing. So obviously it's not a 10 second floss unless it actually flosses everything. Then uh, from there, we went and we, you know, raised our money from investors. We did the pre-order campaign. We built the molds. We went through the whole manufacturing process. And and here we are today talking about it. That's amazing. That's uh, a lot of patience you must have. Patience is uh, perhaps one word for it. Is it is it really patience if it's outside of your control? True. <laughs> that's a good. That's a well. Yes, it is. <laughs> is it frustrating? Uh, it's always. I mean, it, it's it's like at this point it's Zed. It's like if there's something. It's like oh, we thought we'd be done with the manufacturing by now, but now we see that everything is up to you know quality. Uh, controls therefore we can't actually do the best manufacturing around you sort of have like a as that thing it's like this is this the job the job is mm-hmm. to address these things and make sure they're all right and honestly i'd much rather do that than deliver something not ready so when it comes to the choices that you face i definitely feel like i'm taking the best choice and you know when i first started honestly i thought i would be able to come up with the product in a year or two it's been fun and everyone <laughs> And everyone, I like that's the assessment. Yeah, exactly. And and honestly, uh, since since joining the space, I've met a lot of people who are doing in like dental products and and medical. And honestly, some of their products take even longer to develop. It's it's crazy. Why was why did it take five years and not one year as you anticipated? Why didn't you realize? I suppose I came at it with the idea of I had had an idea in my mind, right? The, yeah. the very first conception is where I had a diagram on paper. I said, this is how it would work theoretically. In my mind, when I first came up with that diagram, I was like, okay, well, I know the parts I would need to make this. I could just get these parts and I could put them together. And then I can contact the manufacturer. And I've, I've, d- I've done manufacturing before many, many times for the, the music tech business uh, that I founded prior to this. And I was like, oh, then we'll put it together and we'll make it. So it's like maybe one year to prototype and one year to R&D. But the thing is, when you are creating this timeline in your head, you're imagining that you're going to do it exactly as the diagram shows. What right. never appears in the timeline is the is 
all the things that rear its head that will cause you to change that plan. So for example, in the R&D phase, I had a diagram and I thought this is, this is what it works because this is what the math says it should work. But then when we started doing testing, uh, first on, we actually were flossing things before we were flossing humans. Uh, when we were doing the, the pig testing, we were realizing that the, the jets were not at the correct distance. So we had to go back. We had to run a series of experiments just to be able to get the, the jet, uh, the number of jets and the distance of the jets to be at the, the correct amount to be able to assure that we're flossing 100% of the gut line. And that's something that the diagram was a pull made. And if we didn't need to do that, we would have had to go on that whole side quest of figuring out the jets. And then when I say, oh, the manufacturing will take this long, well, nowhere in that plan was it that, well, we would make this mold and then it would come out with a with a scratch or that these gears wouldn't perfectly align and then the gears would run, but then they would eat themselves because they were perfectly aligned. And then we have to figure out ways to make sure that it comes out the mold correctly or because uh, things cool when they come off the mold. Mm-hmm. But if you don't do it very precisely, they may cool at different rates so therefore one will shrink faster than the other and that could warp it so now you have to figure out a way to make the mold uh eject things in a way where they're all equal thickness so they cool at the same rate all of these things are, are things that never show up in the beginning because they're 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 the unknowns you know you might know once you might even know the known unknowns but you don't know the unknown unknowns and that's you could put that for it, but really it's, you don't know what you don't know. And so going into it, you have to learn a lot more than you ever thought you would. Mm, it's fascinating. But again, it's, it's people do not realize how complicated manufacturing products, like a simple product can, can be. How many prototypes did you produce? Prototypes. I mean, I don't even, prototypes. <laughs> what, what even counts as a prototype if we were just putting in like trying all sorts of different plastics, trying different yeah. silicon rubbers. We were hooking them up to like rows of different motors to like test them. It's like, I honestly have no idea. Like, it's not like we have like maybe like I could say family groupings. Oh, back when we were using this shape or back when we were using this material or back when we were using that. But honestly, it was just constant generation. <laughs> so now. It's ready. I'm so <laughs> completely, completely ready. Well, it, it's actually almost ready. So everything's ready now except for one valve on the okay. Um So when you take the water, the unit uses a reservoir of water. When you take the reservoir of water out, you fill it in your sink and you put it back. Yeah. The unit, kind of like when you take out like the reservoir for your espresso machine or if you've ever used a, a water flossing device, you know what I'm talking about. Our issue is that the valve um, doesn't always close. So you could fill it in the sink, and then on your way to the unit, the water just flows through. So so we have a completely new design for the valve. And, and once that design of the valve is ready, and this one's a lot more foolproof and everything like that, then we're going to be market ready. So depending on when this goes live, uh, we either are almost ready or we're, we're ready as it is. But we actually did a test we, because we had all those people who pre-ordered the customer, uh, the, the pre-ordered the device. And many of them were like, hey, I don't care if it's not 100% ready. As long as it flosses my teeth, I'm, I'm cool with it. And we're like, okay, well, we had everything done, but we only discovered the valve issue at the very end. So now we have to go change a mold. We have to get new parts. It's going to take months. Everything is ready to go. Everything is working except for this one valve. That's the bottleneck. <laughs> And so you have two choices. You could either wait for the valve to be ready and then we'll ship it to you. Or you could get the device now and you can let us know what you think. And 
we actually had about 5,000 people say, you know what, just ship it to me right now. And that was actually really, really interesting to see. I'm very glad that, that they were willing to accept that as it is. We're, of course, we're going to ship them the, the version two of the valve because it was very useful to get the customer feedback and see that, oh, yes, people actually are liking the way it flosses, but they there was like some aspect that wasn't showing up correctly for everyone or a certain percentage of people were receiving the unit broken because, you know, the packaging wasn't, even though we did all sorts of tests on the packaging, we must have missed, you know, this part of the packaging wasn't protecting devices so we could strengthen that packaging. So when you do a smaller run, you're able to find a lot more things, you know, 5,000 people receiving their units from uh, UPS and FedEx chucking the unit over the fence is a very useful uh, it's a very useful test to do. And so we're able to take that feedback and put it in. That being said, there still was a percentage of people who were like, yeah, 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 send it to me, even though the valve's not ready. And then they get it and they're like, hey, this valve isn't ready. Did you know? <laughs> like, yeah, it's always, it's always that. Yeah, there's always that element of people. Um, you know, uh, I, I, don't, I don't know what it is, but they just uh, they didn't read it or they didn't comprehend what they read. But still, overall, it was a very valuable experience. And once we're done with the Valve version 2, we're going to be ready for a general market. I've been listening to you for what, 20 minutes there. What I hear between the lines is attention to details. I don't know if you agree with me, <laughs> but, you know, talking about the valve before that, we were talking about the jet, distance between the jet. Mm. Very high attention to details is required. Uh, you could, it depends on what you constitute, what constitutes a detail. You could say this is a detail. I would, I would argue that it is uh, an invaluable, crucial element of the customer experience. And the, but like, for example, um, regarding the jets, yes, how far apart the jets are is a very minutely measured thing mm. or how effective the loss is. That's not a detail. That's the fundamental, you know, value proposition of the product. Uh, however, to have that fundamental value of the fact that it can do this flossing requires you to know what your jet angles are, how far apart they are, and are you covering 100% of the gun line. If you cover 80% of the gun line, even if you have amazing cleaning, you are only going to be at best 80% effective. Yeah. So um, is making sure that you get all the way to 100% of the gum line a detail, or is it a crucial element of what the product is trying to do? I would argue that it's crucial. Uh, in, in the same way that a person who... Um, is trying to hang a picture on a wall. A little, a little nail in the wall might be a very, very tiny thing, but without it, the photo is not going to hang on that wall. Fair enough. Okay, <laughs> I'm, co I'm convinced. I know. Like I said, it's it's, it's really fascinating to, to to hear all the, the what's going on in the back and in the back of these things that people don't see and have no idea about, except that you were you were documenting documenting the process. Which is always, always uh, very interesting. I would be honest, I, I don't know how many people actually read it in detail. <laughs> <laughs> Did you invite uh, the National Geographic uh, cameras? Do you know they have they have like some uh, reports or programs about how to how to do stuff? <laughs> yeah, it would be an absolute honor if David Attenborough would narrate my uh, day. That would uh, honestly, I can't think of anything better. I understand. So let's switch gear a little bit. Let's talk about you there and your entrepreneurship journey. Why did you become an entrepreneur? Because I see problems and I want to fix them. I feel like an inventor is someone who tries to solve a problem with a device. Yeah. And I am comfortably thinking about 
wow, this could really be better if we just did X, Y, or Z. You know, my only regret, I don't know if regret is the right word, but you know, my, my frustration is that I just can't do them all. I would love to just do them all, you know, uh, copy myself 10,000 times or get 10,000 times more investment and, you know, have teams of people and just work on idea after idea. But, you know, you have to choose the ones that have the biggest impact and which mm-hmm. ones are worth actually chasing. You know, it's your, your efficiency sometimes is not just based on what you do, but what you don't do. And, uh, you know, as much as I would love to pursue uh, certain mechanical devices that I feel I would love, I know that nobody else would love them and therefore just wouldn't be the best use of, of uh, mine or anyone else's time. Yeah, but you could have, uh, you know, come up with a, with a design for a much product and then share of yours and bring it to someone else. They still sort of. Um, so, so yes, I could make the design. I have a journal filled with designs, 99% of which I will never do. The whole, no, the idea itself is not very valuable in the marketplace, um, either from a labor or from a legal standpoint. If you thought of it first, it doesn't give you any rights. Now, if you thought of it and you patented it and you got a granted patent and your patent was broad, then you could be able to try to enforce that. That is a very expensive process. Like if you're trying to enforce your patents, you need a minimum of half a million dollars. Minimum. I was talking to this guy. You could uh, actually look him up. He'd probably be a phenomenal person uh, uh, for your show and a Josh the Balloon guy. He created a device that filled up like 20 water balloons at once, you know, makes parties faster. And this company came and they completely ripped him off and he had to defend his patent. And oh, it was the SC non TV people. You know, the SC non TV brand. Yeah. Uh, uh, so yeah, they're, they're famous for ripping people off. Uh, and so they, they ripped off his invention and they came out with this thing and he spent $20 million fighting them to event and eventually won. But it's, if you're a big corporation's deep pockets, you could just throw money at it to, you know, delay and put, you know, motions that are just shy of frivolous. And so, you know, you, you only have as much justice as you can afford. So, just having the idea and the diagram is is absolutely useless. Having the idea, the diagram, and the patent could be useful if you also have millions of dollars to enforce it. Mm-hmm. How are you going to have millions of dollars to enforce it if it's not even part of your business? So just doing the idea and licensing the patent is is works for very, very few people. The only people who it probably works for is patent trolls. And the reason it works for pets and trolls is because they have a ton of money to just, you know, go around kind of bully people with that stick. So, so it gives you an idea of, of how the system works. So there might be a path forward if you're just an idea guy without the ability to build stuff. But I would argue that if you don't actually have the ability to build it, then your idea probably isn't as thorough as you think. Um, there's a lot of details that go into making your idea work. If you're like, okay, this thing does this, but magic happens between point A and point B, you don't really have a fleshed out idea if you can't yeah. truly build it. And not only build it, but manufacture it. Because I, I know people who have had great ideas, great patents, great prototypes, that the prototypes really worked. Mm. But crucially, their prototypes were not mass manufacturable. They were only able to be 3D printed or built by hand in a particular way, various various things that would make it expensive. And so while the people love the prototype, when they try to go to mass market, suddenly it's 10 times more expensive. And you have a $1,000 solution to a $100 problem. And their business went bankrupt. 
So not only do you have to have the idea and the patent and the ability to make it and prototype it, you have to actually know that your device is mass manufacturable. That's a crucial element that can be the make it or break it to a physical good, you know, going from conception to actually being on the market. And that is a step that many people miss. Fascinating once 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 again. I'm I'm really learning a lot of things today. That's that's really cool. <laughs> I, I love I love those conversations with people with people like you. If I had a magic wand and you could change anything, I would give it to you. And you could change anything. What would it be? And I'm to, yeah, I'm, look at your you know your entire entrepreneurship journey. Uh, I, oh, specifically, like I, I can't change the government or or human nature, right? Like I can't. I can't no, make people no. not. I can't make people not violent. Like, like that's not an option. No, no, no. Let's look. Let's look at your entrepreneurship journey. <laughs> and and we're talking to like in all seriousness about lessons learned, not not stupid stuff like oh, I would have bought Dogecoin. Yes, it's worth a penny. Okay. Yes. Because man, if I just bought Dogecoin, it's worth a penny. Man, um, if I so this is a little bit of a thing, right? Because if I were to know everything I were to know now. And go back five years ago, I honestly could have come out with a product because yeah. I would have, you know, known all the unknowns. But that's not advice you can like. Unless I were to come to myself five years ago and say, "Oh, when it comes out of the mold, make sure that it's like you know shaped like this, and 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 don't have that ninety degree angle inside the device because there's going to be an air pocket. You're going to have to smooth that out later, and, and just keep like diagrams and diagrams and diagrams." That's not really a lesson that you could tell anyone because it just requires you to have it's like it's like going to someone who's uh like an explorer is like, I'm going to go explore a new country and your advice for him is, well, this is what the country looks like. Well, that's not useful to your character as an explorer. If the question is what sort of advice is generalizable that you could take to the next the next products, the next yep. um because even if I were to tell myself all the things I would have learned in the past, that wouldn't have made me better overarching at going on to something new and unknown. So the sort of advice I would give myself without like the sort of cheat code as, you know, this is just make it this way is adding a when, so I had to raise money from investors. So I had to raise money again because the, I didn't have enough padding for those unknowns. I didn't anticipate just how long those bottlenecks would delay various parts of the process. You know, um, and some of it was very hard to anticipate. For example, COVID made it that I couldn't get certain electronic parts for over 10 months. And that delayed everything by 10 months. It's like, oh, well, I have to completely rethink what I'm doing or how I'm doing it, or rather the order in which I'm doing it, because I expected to have these parts now, and these parts are not available. So how do I go about this? And it's complete rethink. So I'll say whatever you think it's going to take, take your worst case scenario, say it's going to take twice as long and everything will cost twice as much. And then maybe you'll only be a little bit underfunded. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I see. If you can anticipate that, then I feel you're you have the pad you have the bandwidth to anticipate the the unknowns. Um because you're going to have to encounter them. If you don't encounter them, you know that you're not are you truly doing anything innovative. So the 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 issue so so it does two things one if you're going to go on an adventure and you think it's going to take you a year be like wait a second if it takes you two is it still worth it for you yeah. you know you think it's going to cost you a hundred thousand if it costs you two hundred thousand it's still worth it for you because so that's what you have to plan for and that will assure that you have a much higher chance of success 
and know that you're willing to do what it takes to to go into it. Because a lot of people are like, oh, I want to do this. I want to I want to come up with this advice. Like, well, are you willing to do that if it means you spend the next five years <laughs> to figure research and development like I just did? And you have to be, the answer has to be yes. So you have to take whatever you think, double it, whatever you think it costs, double it, and and then see if you can, can are willing to and are able to do that. Words of wisdom. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I, uh, I have another question that I'm really interested in hearing your answer. I'm, I'm talking to the entrepreneur in you. What's, what's the most important for you at the deepest level? The most important for me, and I know different entrepreneurs come at it from a different angle, but for me, fundamentally, product needs to solve a problem. Mm. If you're not fundamentally solving the problem and actually solving it, the whole thing collapses. You have the best people, you have the best marketing you could have. You know, the, the best intentions, the hardest work, you know, you can have the most knowledge, you can have the experts, you can have all the money in the world. If the fundamental thing you're doing doesn't solve a problem and truly solve it, then <laughs> what is all that even useful for? So at the, at the very core of it, an entrepreneur, I believe is someone who goes out to solve a problem and you have to make sure that you're truly solving it. I've, I've seen too many people be like, Oh, I'm going to do this. It's going to make money, but. They don't actually care about the service or the good that they're providing. It's like, wait, but why would anybody want this? Why, is, are you actually improving anything here? And I think it's always possible to change your marketing strategy. It's always possible to learn more. It's always possible to be uh, a smarter, you know, entrepreneur. It's, you know, to learn your finances, to raise more money, to you know, be better at everything like that. But it's not possible to change the fundamental thing that you're offering. And so that's what it's all predicated on. I've talked to many entrepreneurs on this show. They would say the same as you, and but in different in different words. But every time it, I think it comes down to uh, impact, like making making impact, whatever, whatever it means. Right. Yeah. So another way of phrasing it, uh, right. perhaps a little bit more grand. I, I like putting things in basic basic terms. Yeah. But it's it's it, it was great. Thank you, Eli. Uh, I really enjoyed this uh, conversation. I just have one more question for you. Uh, how can people contact you and maybe pre-order us? Well, it depends on when this comes out. It might if we have the Valve Two ready, then uh, then it won't be a pre-order. Uh, but if it is uh, before then, then yes. So you can <laughs> go to instafloss.com. It's like an instant floss, instafloss.com, or like Instagram, but instafloss. So go to instafloss.com. Uh, you can see how the device works. If it is of interest to you and you think it will make your life better, then go ahead and order one. If you have questions, we have a contact page and you can reach us and we'd be happy to answer any questions you have. Great. Again, what, thank you very much. I hope I'll talk to you again when uh, you know your product has gone to the market and you're very successful with it. I, I look forward to it. I'll tell you about the new bottlenecks of scaling. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for listening. If you find this episode useful, then you're going to love this. I put together a free online assessment that I call the Potomac Index and Amy took it. You answer a series of key questions about your working habits and it gives you your bottleneck score. And I think it's the only tool in the world that does that, along with some practical recommendations on how to strive as an entrepreneur. Just visit my website and take it for free. I'll see you next time. Bye for now.